All right, good morning. Um, if, uh, if you need a Bible, we've got some Bibles on, uh, there's a cart there, right over there. And uh, so um, we uh, believe in the Bible, uh, we use the Bible, and if you're one of our friends that has not, um, has not come to a place that, that you trust the Bible yet, man, let's talk. Uh, we'd love to talk more about the validity, the authenticity, the historicity, the trustworthiness of the Bible as a historical document, but we believe it's past that. We believe it's a, a, sacred, a sacred text. Um, so listen, welcome. Welcome to our, our new worship space. Um, we're thrilled to be gathering back downtown, which was uh, where we launched as a church in, in 2007 had our official launch uh, just a few blocks over in the first brewery, uh, which burned a few months later. Um, uh, where we're sitting right here, a city was born, right here. This is where Huntsville uh, became, um, became known, uh, became an entity. Um, and I want you to know, first of all, that man, just like we used to say in the brewery, it's not about the brewery, it's not about the beer. Uh, I want to say it's not about the banks, not about the money, all right? Um, but we, uh, we think that this is a space that needs the worship of Jesus in it. And uh, as in this month, in the series that I'm going to be teaching through, each week I'm going to be giving you a little bit more information about this place, about John Hunt, about the birth of Huntsville, uh, just a little bit more of the story every week. Um, and part of it's very interesting uh, part of it's very compelling. Part of it is heart-wrenching and breaking. Some of the things that happened in our city and that even happened in this building. Um, some of the things. So, um, we'll, but we're walking through um, I, the series. I, I, you don't have to name a series, but I just call it Metaphors. Um, because what we want to do is um, we want to look at some terms that tell us about Jesus, that tell us about God and about His kingdom, and in doing that, we found some that connect us to this new place. Um, we're looking at four different words, rock, water, treasure or investment, and city. Um, and so the first three are going to talk about who Jesus is, and the last one is going to talk about what Jesus is up to. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to, to do this. I'm learning some things, and, and I'm having some areas in which I've got to repent uh, and, and change and ask God to do a work uh, in me. Um, but today is on the rock, and it's about foundations. And so what, what, comes, what comes to mind, first of all, when I just use the word rock? Anybody? Rock. What do you think? Huh? Hard? Okay. All right. Rock. That probably sent you down a certain path. What, what other paths we got? Rock. Huh? Unmoving? Okay. What else? There you go. Guitar is a wall of sound. Rock. That's, and that's probably what, what I, I think about when I think of, of rock. Um, uh, you know, just you think of music maybe, um, a certain genre. Um, how, about, how about if you guys think of, if you think of rock music, I mean, what decade do you guys think of? Huh? Come on. Huh? 90s? 70s? 80s? Somebody? Somebody else rock? Um, all right, what about if I, if I say the word the rock? What do you think about? 
Huh? The church. The church. All right. Very good. That's good. What else? Anybody else? Come on. Huh? Alcatraz. Yes. Anybody? Anybody think of Dwayne Johnson? Thank you very much. Yep. Um, I uh, and it's, this is totally dating this this uh, this sermon for right now, but uh, um, I. I don't mind Dwayne Johnson's movie, The Rock. Um, he, he doesn't take himself too seriously. Um, and a lot of times the movies are pretty friendly for, for family. Um, but what about this? What about you think about the word, the terms, the Rockies? What do you think about? Anybody been there? Raise your hand. You've been, been to the Rockies. How many of you like the Rockies in the wintertime? Best. How about that? You like Rockies in the wintertime best? How many of you, you like the Rockies in summertime or springtime best. All right. That's me. Um, I've been there both the winter and the summer, and my favorite time is the summer, and that's when you can actually see why they're called the Rockies, because it's just these big old rocks with all these, all these boulders uh, that are there. And I have yet to do it. I know there's actually some people in here right now that got to, got to do it, and I almost did it this year, but I want a mountain bike down some of the uh, mountains in the Rockies, uh, some of the ski slopes, that is, not just uh, on the boulders. But um, I, I want to do that. Um, the Rockies are breathtaking. Uh, it's unbelievable. Um, so, but when, when you think about rocks, boulders, I mean, huge foundation zones, you think about the things that can build a firm foundation. In the late 18th century, there were many American frontiersmen that wanted to find freedom by finding their own piece of heaven in the U.S. by moving westward. John Hunt was a bearded Irishman whose family had come in the 17th century, around 1635. They immigrated from Ireland. It said that he was six feet tall and about 180 pounds, and back then that was pretty uncommon for somebody to be, to be that large. Um, and uh, 1804, John Hunt and David Bean camped beside a stream fed by a large underground spring right here. They came because Hunt had heard from the Indians about, about not only the spring, but he heard about the, what was called the limestone springs, this place where there's these huge crags of limestone and there was a spring that was underneath it. Little did they know, or maybe they did know, there was caves that were all around. I don't know if you realize that right here, uh, underneath us and all over uh, downtown Huntsville, there are tons and tons of caves. Has anybody spelunked in these caves? Anybody? All right, we need to find somebody who's spelunked because I want to do it. I want to go. And uh, so maybe when they give me the key to the city, you'll open up that door. Uh, but uh, um, like I'm getting the key to the city. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But I want to I go under. Um, so, but they came here. They found this spring, and Hunt said, this is where I want to bring my family. They, his family was up in, in Tennessee at the time. And so they came to, to he got his family ready, got him to move down. He came to the spot, and there was a cabin under construction right here. Uh, the cabin was, uh, had been built. Uh, it wasn't finished, but it had been built um, uh, by, um, I forget his name right now, um, but... Uh, he, he came in, and the, the guy who had built it uh, had gone to get his family in the Georgia area to move back in here, and uh, he, he left it. 
And so there was, there's nobody to lay claim to it. And so John Hunt moved in with his family. And what, what, had, begin, what had been started by someone else, he finished. And so when this other guy came in with his family, it was too late. Uh, John Hunt had built his cabin right here. I don't know exactly where it was, but somewhere right around, around this spring. After that, more pioneer families came to join Hunt in the fertile area that was around here. They were all squatters. They had no legal rights to the land because it belonged to the, gov- the government. I'll tell you more about, about that uh, in upcoming messages about that because it was, it was pretty crazy, some of the underhanded things that went on here. But a small community began to develop around what they called Hunt's Spring. Um, from 1804 to 1809, there was around 5,000 people that moved into right here what's called the Great Bend area, the Great Bend because of the Tennessee River. But again, it was all government land that they did not own. The rest of the story is going to come later uh, as we see all the problems that happened uh, with that. So Hunt wanted to build on a rock. He wanted to build next to, next to a spring. He wanted to build, he wanted a sure foundation. And we're all looking for sure foundations in our life. We're all looking for what will be the most solid. Unfortunately, we're deceived and we, we have a tendency to build upon ourselves, thinking that we're solid. But I've been around long enough to know that I am no good foundation. And I've been around long enough to know that you are no good foundation to build upon. Don't build upon yourself. Don't build upon your mind. Don't build upon your heart. Don't build upon your agenda and dreams. Build upon Jesus Christ. So we're going we're gonna to take a look really quickly at several verses within Scripture scattered about that use the metaphor of rock to describe God, and then we're going to plow into Psalm 18, verses 1 and 2. That's what we're going to tear apart today. So let's, uh, let's pray as we do that. Lord, um, thank you. Your word is already blessed, and we pray, God, that you would just sweep into here and that you would reveal your largeness. Um, it's not that you're going to get bigger. It's just we need to have a bigger view of you, God. Uh, we don't need a bigger view of, my, of, of ourselves, Lord. Uh, we need a bigger view of you. And uh, so, Lord, uh, help us with that and do that. Transform us in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 19, verse 14 says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Psalm 62, verse 7 says, On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Psalm 94, verse 22 says, But the Lord has become my stronghold, and my God the rock of my refuge. Isaiah 44, 7 through 8. Who is like me? Let him proclaim it. Let him declare and set it before me, since I appointed an ancient people. Let them declare what is to come and what will happen. Fear not, nor be afraid. Have I not told you from old and declared it? And you are my witnesses. Is there a God besides me? There is no rock. I know not any. Somebody says there is no rock. There, there is no rock other than, other than God. Psalm 144, 1 through 4. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, who trains my hands for war, my fingers for battle. He is my steadfast love and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield. And he whom I take refuge, he subdues peoples under me. O oh Lord, what is man that you regard him? Or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a breath 
His days are like a passing shadow. That part, last part right in there is going to link to us in, in, in the September when we launch into a series through the book of Ecclesiastes of man and life being like breath, like a vapor. Psalm 144 uh, that I just read for was almost the text that we we're going to dive in and examine today. I, I encourage you that you highlight that, that you, that you underline it, that you meditate uh, on that and what God does to prepare us for life. But we're going we're gonna to zoom in on Psalm 18 verses 1 to 2. Here it is. I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer. My God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. So somebody, somebody say, the Lord is my strength. Say my rock. Say my fortress. Say my deliverer. Say my God. Say my rock. Say my shield. Say the horn of my salvation. Say my stronghold. These are the things that God is to His people. God, help us as we, as we go further into this. Um, so it starts out in verse 1, says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. And, and this, is, this is what we call adoration. Uh, when God, God is being, he's being applauded. Uh, he is being respected. He's, he's being loved. And uh, on, the, on, on the front table there, I put 20 copies um, from the um, international, uh, um, the international standard Bible encyclopedia of different types of prayer and worship. Uh, there's uh, there's eight of them, uh, nine of them. Excuse me. There's uh, worship. There's praise. There's thanksgiving. There's adoration. There's devotion. Communion. Confession. Petition or supplication. And finally, intercession. Uh, and explains and gives you some scriptures for each one of those if you want to go a little bit deeper in what it means to, to love God and to, to, a, a, uh, to magnify Him and to worship Him. But adoration, adoration uh, is, is told in here. The, the term is almost synonymous with worship. It introduces a more personal note. A personal note. Psalm 18.1 is quoted, I love you, O Lord, my strength. Psalm 73, 25 says, Whom have I heaven but you? In, and there is nothing upon earth that I desire besides, besides you. And so um, the term, that, the Hebrew term that's used when it says, I love you, O Lord, um, the word that's given there, uh, that just doesn't, it, it's, not, it's not able to be completely translated word for word uh, into the English basically means I love you from the bottom of my heart. Um, Warren Wearsby said, it's related to the Hebrew word for womb. Describes the kind of love a mother has for her baby or a father has for his children. The Lord has for His chosen people. A deep and fervent love, the kind of love all of us should have for the, love, for the Lord. Which is interesting because what it's doing is it's it's saying, God, the kind of love you have for me, I'm giving back to you. And that's something we can't come up with. We can't, we can't invent that type of love. The, the uh, Greek word is agape. It's beyond us. It's, it's an infinite love. It's a selfless love. It's got to come from the Lord and be given right back to Him. Um, 
It's saying from the bottom of my heart, I love you. God, that I love you with every fiber of my being. It's saying, God, every cell in my body is crying out to you, I love you. Now, where are you today with that statement? About every fiber of your being yearning for God. Every cell in your body crying out, I love you. If you're like me, you just say, Dave, doesn't sound like me very much, or very often anyway. But, but listen to me. There's really, really good news. Because what you're describing or what you're feeling, if you have that tension within you, is, is your own old heart, your old selfishness, which does not love God. It only loves yourself, but it really doesn't even love yourself. But the great thing is, is God did not leave you just with your heart, which later on we'll see is called a heart of stone, but he gives you what's called a heart of flesh. God is giving you, if you're a Christian in here, God has given you a new heart. And guess what? That new heart longs for God. And in the times and the moments and the days in which he's like, God, I just don't feel it. I, don't just, I know I don't really love you. Just know that all you're doing is you're standing upon your old heart. Just say, in the name of Jesus, I deny my old heart and I declare God has made me new. He has made me a new creature. He's given me a new heart. And in faith, in a faith because you don't feel it or you may not see it, but in faith just say, God, I know the new heart you gave me longs for you. So therefore, you can come to these type of scriptures and you don't have to quickly go over them anymore because you're guilty. Do you hear me? I know this is speaking to some of you because I've been there. And I look and I'm just, I'm just like, God, that's not me. I don't even want to read this. I'm so convicted. I just want to throw in the towel. Don't throw in the towel because God has not left you that way. He's given you a new heart. So in faith, just say, God, my heart yearns for you. I love you at the bottom of my heart, the new heart that you've given me. Don't believe the lies and don't stand upon your old heart. And he talks about in verse 2, or in verse 1, he talks about my strength. I love you, the Lord, love you, Lord, with my strength. J.I. Packer called this term the almightiness of God. When we talk about the strength of God, that He is almighty. It's, it's that He's not just mighty and He's not just all. He's, he's almighty. Say that. Somebody say almighty. He's, he's completely mighty. 18 verse 2. It says, The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Now st- stop. I mean, don't, don't move too fast through this. I mean, this is worth chewing on. This is worth going home and just writing it up on, in, in a grease pen on, on your mirror, writing this verse and just saying, God, what, what is up here? What, what do you want to show to me? What do you want to reveal to me? And I'm telling you, a lot of it's going to have to do with what we just talked about. Because the enemy has some of you captured to where you're just like, I'm a miserable, horrible Christian. And I don't want to even try anymore. And you've got to just come against that and just say, Truth tells me something different. God tells me something different. That is the old me. And it's not what God has done within me. He's created a new heart within you. And it longs for Him. You just have to to lean there. 
David said in verse 1, uh, verse 1 there, God is my strength. The Hebrew word for that is, is power. I mean, it's, it's the, that's the thought behind it. Power to be able to go. Uh, think of it as you guys who are motorheads, torque. That what it takes to get something going, that's, that's, a, that's an object that's completely stopped, that weighs whatever it does, is what it takes to get it going from, from stop, to get it going and move on. It's the, it's the power. With, with Him, with God, you're attached to all the power in the universe. All of it. With God. That's what you're attached to. But you've got to reverse engineer that to know that without Him, you are powerless. And even as a Christian, I don't mean without Him and being separated from Him, I'm saying when you're standing in yourself, you are powerless. Verse 2 says, the Lord is my rock. And uh, the, the, the word, the, the original language here was talking about a, a cliff or a crag, a place in which, and Judy prayed, prayed this uh, just a few minutes ago for Wesley and Monica that God would, would, would keep them safe within, within the crag, within, within a cliff. Um, have you ever seen an eagle's nest? Last uh, year, um, we heard about uh, an eagle's nest that was near uh, the Gunnersville Dam. And uh, we got the message out. Some of you guys even came out and were able, able to see it. It was up in a, in a tree, um, and we had all these people out there looking, and there's this guy who had this huge just scope, and, and he said to my kids and to me, he said, you guys want to see? And we're like, uh-huh. You know, and so we looked, and we were able to see I mean, all these babies. You know, they're up in... In, in this eagle's nest. Well, eagles always are going to be in some place far up, but many eagles, what they do is they build their nest up in a rock, up in a, in a crag, in a, in a cliff somewhere. And nothing, nothing except mama and dad can get to those birds. Nothing can. That's what God is to us. He's like, I'm, I am that safe, that safe place. I am your security. Your, with, with me... You're placed far away from your enemies and nothing can get you that I don't allow. Says God is my fortress. And this gives us, paints a picture of a city with high fortified walls. And you just got to put yourself back thousands of years ago, you know, when this was being written and know that, that man, when you, when you were out and about, if you were in a tent or if you were, if you were uh, going down the, the road, you know, from, from a town to a town, you were in danger. That's the reason why they went by caravans. That's the reason why they would hire soldiers of fortune to guard them. And sometimes they'd get double-crossed. And those soldiers that they would hire would hijack them or, or kill them. Take their money. They, you were not safe until you were within a city with a fortified wall. And it's there. It's there that you didn't have to worry. It's there that you didn't have to be anxious about your little kids and if somebody's going to steal them or if, or if somebody's going to kill, kill and rape your wife. You're safe in there. It's fortified. You'd lay your head down on your pillow and you could actually sleep. What, what's your level of anxiety right now? What's your level of worry? I don't mean pressure. I don't mean tension. We, we got friction. I mean, we're made to be people. Do we have to have stress? 
levels of stress and friction and tension. That's what makes things work. If there's no friction or stress or tension, we'd all float off of, off of the planet. You've got to have it to be able to move, and, and you have to have it for, to grow and to be strong. You have to have a level of it. But where are you? Are you caving under the pressure? Are you losing your hope? Can you sleep at night? Can you rest? If you can't, something's wrong. And it has to do with where your stronghold is, where your safety net is, where you go for your peace. Because if you're going to your circumstances for your peace, you're going to be an anxious and worried person. If you're, if you're going to what you can do and what you can achieve or whatever your goal is, whatever your agenda is, I mean, you're going to be fine as long as everything is lining up and hitting on all cylinders. But the time is coming. And you know it because you've been there, haven't you? When it fails, you fail. Circumstances fail around you and you get crushed. Don't put your security in that place. It says, you're my deliverer. And they, they, the, the word that's used in here is one for escape. Saying, you are my escape. You deliver me. Um, years ago, back in the 90s, uh, we had, uh, about an hour away, we had these really cool mountains uh, where we had one peak called Sharp Top there in central Virginia and around the Blue Ridge Parkway. It's a beautiful area. And we'd go every once in a while and we would... Uh, we climb, and this one time, uh, uh, Danielle and I and some friends, we were out climbing, climbing a sharp top. We got up to the top, and there's at the at the top of it. I mean, it's, it's sharp top, but it's all these really rounded boulders that are huge. But from from the distance, it looks it looks sharp. And uh, so get up there, and I mean, and I I mean I just uh, y'all, if you've been around long enough, you know that just by nature I'm a reckless person, and uh, it's so good that I've got. Uh, men like Eric Morgan and, and Johnny Osborne and many of you around to kind of keep my feet to the ground. And I'm not as reckless as I used to be, but you got to watch it because sometimes I'll, I'll leap before I look. And this was one of those days. And I'm, I mean, there's these big boulders, and I'm just full of adrenaline and going, and I'm leaping from boulder to boulder to boulder, and, and it's just so, it's just exhilarating. And finally, I take this one leap that's about eight feet over and down, and I go, oh, crap. Because I look around, and what I just leapt from, it's, again, these rounded rocks. And it was about six, six seven feet up this way over me. And, and I'm, I'm jumping to try to get back up, and I can't. And the, and the drop-off from that point, it was about, I guess it was about 18 feet down to a bunch, bunch of rocks, the next place to get down. I'm like, oh, great. And I could just, I could just see the helicopters coming. And I could just see the news reports and... This idiot, and I was a dean, I was a dean at a university, you know, it was like, it's dean at Liberty University gets stuck as, like an idiot, you know, and I was like, this is great, this would be great publicity for, for my school and obviously for myself and family, and I'm like, okay, great, i got to figure a way out. Finally, they, they, there, there were some people, and the, the tallest dude came and, and, and just reached his, his hand up, and I, I, I had to kind of slide and slide and slide and slide and try to keep the friction to, to where I wouldn't fall and was probably like a foot away from his hand and had to kind of slip down to his uplifted hand until we're, and, then, and then kind of catch and it worked and nobody broke any bones. So I was thankful for that. But they provided an escape for me because I couldn't do it. And that's the whole deal is when if 
you need deliverance, that means you can't do it. And in life, you can't be your own deliverer. That's why Jesus came. He is our deliverer. He said, he's, he's my God. My God. He's my God, first of all. Thank you, Lord, that you're my God. There is a God, and I thank you that you've opened my eyes to who you are, and whether you're whether you're a kind God or a malevolent God, I'm going to be in, in the right path here. I, 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 whatever it is, whoever you are, God, I recognize you. You're the one, and I want to be, in the, I want to be doing the right thing here. Okay? God, certainly, God could have been a malevolent God, and He's not. But He could have been, and if He was, you, you don't have an option to say, well, I don't like that God. And you, just say, you get in line and say, yes, sir, if that's the case. But... He's a merciful, wonderful, good God. And so he's not just my God, but he's my God, is what David was saying. You're my God. In the, in the days where there was all kinds of gods, so, so to speak, being worshipped, they're powerless gods. And sure, there was magic and there were supernatural abilities that came through these demons, these very real fallen angels, these things that they, things that they would allow, what they would do. But you got David who's saying, the God, the real God is not just God, He's my God. And you, need, you need to walk away today with a smile on your face to say, oh my goodness, out of all, out of all the world religions, all the faith systems and all the things man has invented to do their own thing, God, thank you. I couldn't have figured it out. I, I, I couldn't have gotten to you and you came to me. You're my God because you love me. You revealed yourself to me. In whom I take refuge. We're going to come back to that phrase in just, just a minute. It says, you're my shield. Now this talks about, this, this next two, two phrases, shield and horn of salvation, they, they play off one another. Shield, it's talking about God as our defense. The horn of my salvation talks about Him as our offense. First time I was reading through this, I was like, horn of salvation, horn of salvation. Alright, i got to study deeper. So I was like, what, okay, what's, what's this, where's it going? And... And through studies, just recognizing, basically, this is saying the front dude with the trumpet who's saying the, it, the army's coming. The general is on his way. He's coming. Doo -doo -doo, it's coming. He's coming. You, you're not only my defense, you are my offense. And I want you to know God has a trumpet of war. God is on the move. He is defeating his foe. God's enemy, folks, is never winning. Never winning. All the broken people, the broken, I mean, anybody who's, who is uh, born, is born broken. So they're all kind of in the enemy's camp. But the enemy never is able to take people from God's kingdom transfer him to his but it's God who comes and says I'm taking I'm taking from the kingdom of darkness and placing you into the kingdom of light God is winning he's losing Satan is losing um, Psalm uh, 139 4 through 6 says even before a word is on my tongue behold O Lord you know it all together you hem me in behind and before. 
and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful. It is high. I cannot attain it. That's, saying, that's just saying, God, you're, you completely surround me. Some of you guys are comic book fans or comic book movie fans and you know science fiction and stuff, and, and you got these force fields around a, a, a ship or, or somebody who has the ability to just place a, a, a complete shield around them that may be visible or, or invisible. That's what we're talking about. That's who God is. He is before you. He's behind you. He's going ahead of you. He's going behind you. He's beside you. He's above you. He's below you. You're either completely away from the shelter of God or you're completely immersed within it. Man, what great news that is. He's saying, he says, you're my stronghold. This is another term that indicates our safety a stronghold is used to keep valuables safe. Everybody look right over there. Behind all the people. You see that safe? Over there? The door weighs hundreds of pounds. James, any idea how, how, much, how much the door on a safe like that weighs? Hundreds of pounds. Um, it looks like it's about 10 to 12 inches thick. It is designed to keep valuables safe. And for decades, that's what it's done, um, kept things safe. And sure, there's been some robberies here, here and there, but overall, that thing has kept people's valuables, deeds, mortgages, money, by, uh, the, you know, dad's old stopwatch, you know, kept them safe. Um, your life is not your safe. Don't trust in you for things to be safe. Your relationships are not to be your safe. Your money, your skills, your drive to succeed are not your safe. If they are, your safe is unsafe. Only God is a worthy safe for you and me. Guys, this, this, brings, this brings me to a place that I've got I to gotta bring to you the the irony of what David is saying in all of this. Because if you understand the life of David, if you know the context of David, you know that the things that he's saying, of all, the, the grandeur of all this safety and security is not where he lived. Saul himself earlier in his days, uh, king before, was trying to kill David. And all along, man, David was writing psalms all over the place, saying, God, protect me, protect me, protect me. There's a point in David's life later on in which his own son Absalom was trying to kill him. His own son. David did not live a safe life. If you looked and just said, and you knew David, and you read, you read this, you just say, what have you been smoking? What are you talking about? How can you, how can you say that God is providing all of these things for you? You know what I think David would say? He'd say, no, 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 you, you got it wrong. I'm not saying that God is providing all these things. I'm saying God is all these things. Listen, some, I know there's at least somebody in here that today, you need American Christianity to absolutely crash today. To stop thinking that God loves me and I'm okay as long as everything's okay. Just read 1 Peter, man, talking about suffering and that, man, suffering brings you into the life of, of Jesus and it's just going to be for a little while, but suffering is going to, it's going to happen. It's going to happen over and over again. We 
We are not safe. Life is not safe. God is not even safe. God is a warrior that he's, He is kicking butt and taking names. And what He's done is He's invited you into this. He's invited you into His battle and His mission that He will win. But guess what? You're going to get bloodied in the middle of it. Don't expect that God, I mean, that's, it's going to be this like, okay, let's move our house into this safe and nobody will ever touch us. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about what's in God's hand as far as safety. We're talking about that we are, we are in God's hand. So let me go back to that little phrase in verse 2 where it says, in whom I take refuge. In whom I take refuge. My God in whom I take refuge. D.A. Carson said, there's no point in having a fortress if you do not run there for safety. You hear that? How about it? Do you run to God for your safety? Or do you run somewhere else saying, God, you should be doing these things. You should be providing these things for me to be safe. Run to God as your safety. Run to God as your safe and as your security and as your deliverer. And surely He will bring great deliverance in your life. But know that He is a warrior. That He is coming against a mighty foe, from our eyes, not in his eyes. A mighty foe, and he's invited us into this. As we close, I want you to check out this rock-type verbiage about God. 1 Corinthians 1.23 says, But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. Jeremiah 23.29 says, it is not my word like fire, excuse me, is not my word like fire, declares the Lord, and like a hammer that breaks the rock into pieces. So in those two verses, this describes that God Himself is a stumbling block, and He is. He makes us stumble. He's kind enough that He trips us up from our journey of self-actualization. Because He says, you will never get there. He says, I'm the one. Stop. He trips us. Thank you, Jesus, for being a tripping stone in our path. And I pray that God will trip somebody today. Jeremiah 23, that passage is powerful. It's not my word like fire and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. God is the one that His word will come and will break us. Gives us a heart of stone. He takes a heart of stone away, gives us a heart of flesh. Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness, and from all your idols I will cleanse you. I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. This is a God that He is the one that does His mission. We can't do it. He is the one that He moves in. And I'm so grateful because I would have never moved to Him and neither would have you. For some of you, God is melting your heart. and He's replacing a heart of stone with a heart of flesh. Respond to Him. I invite you 
Come to the God that, that loves you. Come to Him. For you guys who are Christians, come to Him. Come to this God, even right now. Lord, we come. We come.